0: Hey everybody, this is Jim. Uh, Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to address all of you about something which is very important to us as a podcast and also um, as members of the Battleship Retention fleet and just as human beings. Um, We've posted about this on our Twitter feed and on our Facebook page, but for those of you who are unaware, um, Tyler Smith, who is the co-host of the Battleship Retention podcast... Um, and a, you know, kind of a co-founder of the Battleship Retention website and fleet, is um, in great need of help. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the details, in, you know, mid to late August, he was admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms, and it was shortly after that that he slipped into a coma and started developing paralysis. Um, there have been some updates and some developments since then, Uh, the doctors have um, officially diagnosed him with a severe case of the West Nile virus which is sort of a mixed blessing in the sense of there is a a path forward that is good news Um, there is there are treatment options and there are are certainly steps to take to treat it the bad news is there is no official cure or treatment for West Nile now um, since this has happened um, there have been signs and steps and things are, are improving. Um, he, um, you know, he has been taken off of a ventilator for short amounts of time and has been able to communicate, but he is still in need of that. He is able to kind of have nonverbal communication with his friends and loved ones. Um, but he is uh, still experiencing kidney failure and getting dialysis regularly, um, and he's still paralyzed with the exception of his eyes, eyebrows, jaw, and tongue so in the show notes we have a few uh links included one is to a website called caring bridge in which you can kind of stay up to date on what is going on with him and then also a link to his gofundme um, in which people are trying to raise money for um, his treatment um now we unfortunately live in a kind of a shitty country when it comes to um medical care and medical insurance so um while tyler and his wife jen are painfully employed. Tyler was also, um, you know, a a kind of an adjunct teacher and, you know, kind of had jobs in a couple different places. So um, his insurance situation was, you know, not exactly where it needs to be. So people are trying to raise money to help for uh, his treatment. And I would encourage you all to visit those links to just kind of keep up to dates on what is going on with Tyler and to contribute anything you can. You know, I mean, even if it's something as small as 5 or $10, that is more money um, Than you know the family had before you were able to donate. And any little bit helps um, this family, which is in really in, in desperate need of of. However you you feel is best to care, uh, money, thoughts, prayers, actions, just reaching out. Um, you know, leaving a little note to let them know that that you are wishing them for the best. Really, anything in the in, in these times. Uh, can really be a helpful thing. So um, while this is going on, like I said, there is reason for optimism, there is reason for hope, and certainly his family and his friends are hanging on to that. Um, but while this is all going on, just keep in mind that there is, um, you know, there is a, a wife without a husband, there are um, kids without a father, there are classes without a teacher, um, and there are um, friends and a co-host without a friend and a co-host. Tyler has been a good friend to me throughout the years, um, and it is because of my relationship with him that I have been able to kind of um, be engaged, stay engaged in this film community, which means so much to me. He gave me a platform to write, um, to podcast, to kind of hone my authorial voice. He, he has been, even on, on a human, on a personal level, has taken time out of his schedule to hop on Zooms with me, to just chat, to give advice, to listen to when I had Complaints to let me cry over situations, you know um, He's a great guy. Um, he's a good friend. He is a, a wonderful champion of film and of the art of cinema um, and is a caring and loving father and husband so anything you can do in this time to just uh, Encourage the family to give some money to just let them know that they are being thought about that they are being cared for is going to be uh, greatly appreciated. So once again, pay attention or look in those show notes. You're going to get the link for um, Carrying Bridge to kind of stay up to date what's going on and to Tyler's GoFundMe, in which you can hopefully contribute anything you can to just help on this road to recovery. So um, I wanted to intro this here and not just kind of. Um, you know spring it on our guests for this episode Uh, but I really wanted some time to just connect with you all to be honest with you all that this is a you know it's it's a scary time but it is there are reasons for hope as I said I want to reiterate that I want that to to be our focus during this time to just keep that perspective that there are signs that things are getting better and that things can get better and that this is something that he can fully recover from that is certainly um, a, a very realistic possibility so let's all keep hopeful Let's contribute whatever we can. Let's support each other um, and support them in their time of need. So thanks for listening, y'all. Please contribute what you can um, and enjoy this episode of The Cast of Cthulhu. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Cast of Cthulhu. I am Jim Roner.
1: And I'm James McCormick.
0: And um, joining us today, we are not covering a film, but as we uh, prefaced in early episodes, we are interviewing today the gentleman from across the pond, the Innsmouth Book Club, Rob Poynton and Tim Mendes. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining us. You have been so graceful, and, and we've been so grateful that you, we have been on your podcast twice before, um, and so now we're, we're trying to pay it back by having you um you know on here so so thanks for uh you know for not just being patient with us but also for for joining us today
2: oh thanks it's a, it's a real pleasure it's, it's nice to get out of innsmouth actually for, for a while you know
1: <laughs> yeah definitely it's definitely nice to get away from the smell of fish for a bit you know so, yeah so thanks for that lads <laughs> Um, so, of course, uh, as the name implies, Innsmouth
0: Book Club, you guys, we, we've been on your podcast in the past uh, to to talk about um, all things kind of Lovecraft as a as an author, as an author of strange fiction, and also to specifically discuss the thing. But we wanted to have you guys on because we are, of course, a, a podcast that talks about adaptations of the work of Lovecraft. We don't spend a ton of time actually talking about Lovecraft as an author and also just horror fiction, weird fiction And that's what you guys have kind of um, dedicated your podcast and your stuff to. So, you know, if you're listening and you're kind of like, oh, I don't read, then maybe this isn't the episode for you to listen to. Maybe turn it off and, you know, go watch uh, Netflix or something. But because we're going to be talking about like fiction, (laughs) horror fiction specifically and kind of like books, especially with Halloween just around the corner, um, the weather getting a little bit uh, chillier outside, maybe you kind of want to keep in, uh, wrap a a little blanket around yourself and kind of um, curl up with a good book by a fire. So that's why I thought you guys would be good to kind of discuss. But before we kind of get into the the grain of the topic, I guess I want to talk a little bit about just the Innsmouth Book Club, what it is for people who are unfamiliar with it, and just kind of how it started for you guys.
2: Well, it started uh, out of an idea. We, We were actually looking at putting on some Lovecraft days and conventions in the UK, and it sort of became part of that. Obviously, then we had the pandemic and all that thing, so that idea was shelved maybe till next year. But we sort of thought about setting up a podcast, and we had the idea to actually do it as a tour to Innsmouth. So the premise is all our listeners are on the bus, we take them into Innsmouth, we visit the library or the museum or the cinema, uh, and there we discuss mostly books. We do occasionally do a film and TV and then, of course, uh, as you know yourself, we have guests in at the Gilman House to uh, interview as well. So that was the, the kind of idea. Uh, it just made it a little bit of fun. We can put in lots of sound effects and all that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah, Rob made a lot of work for
1: himself there, didn't I you? did,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is it about um, literature, about books specifically? Because, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that there is an entire... Um, section of podcasts out there which is dedicated to literature and specifically kind of horror literature um but but why why does it why were you guys attracted to that because you can find i mean listen film podcasts are a dime
2: a dozen out there
0: um so what (laughs) is it that you guys like you wanted to focus really on like on literature itself specifically
2: i think i mean part of the inspiration was the hp lovecraft literary podcast Mm. which always stands to me as the pinnacle of lovecraft and well now of course they're just branching out into strange Fiction in general, yeah, and they always do such a great job. So that was a little bit of inspiration. And there's a very good MR James uh, podcast to the curious as well. So it was partly that, really, just a chance for us to talk about our favorite authors and stories, uh, with Lovecraft as the, the central point. But you know, then we can get into Robert Bloch and Fritz Leiber and all these other authors as well. And we have a sort of policy, I suppose. We only really talk about stories that we like. <laughs> 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 we're, we're, we're not a sort of we're not critics as such, you know. We would much rather rest something, else. and we can discuss the themes of the story or things that we particularly like about it. Um, so, I, I guess that would you say, Tim? That was that's the main idea, really, isn't it it's just a fun chat. About these
1: yeah, I guess it is. I guess the, the whole ethos of it is just like-minded people talking about stuff, and hopefully getting some like um, some new eyes on things because we tend to cover some stories that are very lesser known. Like, I mean, recently we covered works of like Caitlin Arkin and and people like that um, who are lesser known to a lot of the wide wide Lovecraft readership, but it's really good stuff. It's marvelous stuff. So you know getting some fresh eyes on things i mean i guess that was also the thoughts behind because we've got a sister podcast to that mm. one strange shadows which is a podcast dedicated to clark ashton smith and rob noticed that there was a uh basically a
2: lack of one there was one a few years ago wasn't there but that kind yeah, of d- double shadow double shadow yeah. was a good podcast but it stopped a few years back and it is surprising that there's a fair amount of lovecraft stuff of course but yeah. Smith, absolutely nothing, and is such an amazing writer. Yeah, we, we felt that that deserved its own show, really. Otherwise, yeah. we wouldn't be doing virtually every other episode. Was a, was a Smith story, wasn't it? You know?
1: Yeah, exactly. This is it. You know, again, it's just about, you know, talking about things you enjoy, things you love, and hopefully getting it out to a wider audience. Really, Lovecraft is sort of like
0: his his name is out there now, and and, and you know, even if people are not aware of who he is people are aware of sort of what he has created within the world. I mean, I, I've had conversations with people where they know Cthulhu, but they yes. don't know this guy who has this, you know, actually coincidentally quite like metal name behind it. Like, oh, Lovecraft. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, but he certainly wasn't the only one within within that world. I mean, James and I even chatted about it a bunch with, uh, with the ritual in our last episode because – the novel upon which it was based was like the winner of like the August Durlith award, you know, August yes. Durlith was obviously yes, right. a, a huge contemporary and collaborator. Um, but so, I mean, I wonder too, if, if, if you guys feel up to a kind of helping to kind of classify or, or even kind of clarify this divide, not even divide, but just the, the nuances that separate just kind of like horror fiction between like, weird fiction or strange fiction that Lovecraft was kind of synonymous with because everyone kind of knows Stephen King and you know Stephen King is yeah. obviously a horror writer. Yeah. Uh but just like that's kind of horror fiction. But strange fiction or weird fiction, the kind of stuff that Lovecraft wrote was a little bit different. And and where where really is the the separation or, or the distinction for you guys?
2: I think the main thing what Lovecraft did, so pre Lovecraft you had like gothic horror, uh the classic gothic novels, and then you get into uh, bram stoker and, and that genre and for the most part certainly those horror ones they're more supernatural so we have uh, vampires of course we might have werewolves we have ghosts and hauntings when you look at lovecraft's actual stories although he's often billed as a horror writer there's not really anything supernatural going on <laughs> his creations uh alien entities that might be from another galaxy or another dimension or from somewhere else, from beyond. And although he uses a lot of supernatural trappings, so we have rituals and we have cultists and, and all that kind of thing, when you when you look into it, and especially some of his stories, like from beyond, it's a machine. The guy sets up the resonator that allows us to see in other dimensions. It's pure science fiction, yeah. yet it always gets classified as horror. I guess science fiction now people think of as, well, I suppose Star Wars would be the sort of uh, lighter end of it all the way through to Asimov and, and those kind of authors. Mm-hmm. But I think back at that time, it was just all really called weird fiction. There wasn't really such a thing as sci-fi or horror or fantasy. So even Sword and Sorcery, or you look at things like Dunzany or Robert E. Howard, were just called weird fiction. A lot of them were actually called... For, the whole the the umbrella was fantasy
1: for a long time because we've actually got an old hardback that we picked up in a second hand shop and it's masters of fantasy and it was my partner that picked it up because she's well into all her like elves and goblins and all that kind of stuff right she's into all her epic fantasy she she got very excited by this big tome and picked it up and went actually I think this is one for you (laughs) and it was it was it was all like Robert Chambers and Ambrose Bierce and Hmm. Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith. It was it was it was basically a weird fiction anthology. So, Hmm. you know, I I guess it was only later, quite a bit later, really, probably with Tolkien and things like that, when that kind of split happened, where your sort of swords and elves that was now fantasy. Your science science stuff, science fiction is now spaceships. (laughs) <laughs> and this stuff here that we don't know what the hell to do with. We'll... <laughs> That's weird fiction. There you go. <laughs> cosmic horror is the other cosmic word. horror. Yes.
0: Mm. We, with Lovecraft, what we've seen um, with his stories and then sort of how stuff translates it, it, fiction seems to be, or, or literature seems to be better in sort of like getting inside someone's head because you can hear what, or quote unquote, hear what they're thinking and what they're musing on. Whereas if a film would, you know, take a break to kind of like, let's get inside his head and see what this guy is thinking suddenly your, your film loses momentum, it's not as exciting. Whereas, yeah. you know, I, I think books kind of lead up to that thing of, I mean, there's the joke with Lovecraft where our protagonist see something and before they can describe it, they pass out. Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of skirt around, like, let's describe what we've seen or, or because it is indescribable, but we can kind of delve into that, that let let our imaginations kind of really run wild. It's like, what did they see or what did they experience yeah. Uh, because we are internal but then the the prose itself gets to a point where like we have to stop before we can proceed because the imagination is going to be more effective than anything that can be put on the
2: page really i think that's exactly the point point. and even when you look at something like M.R. james who again although he's lauded as a traditional ghost author it's mm-hmm. not actually always that traditional and i'm thinking of um uh what's the uh there's, there's a particular creature that's described as, if you imagine a tarantula in the shape of a man, that's what it looked like. Now, when you think of that, that's like, or for me anyway, Ugh. Okay. if you saw that in a cheap movie, right, that's going to be a guy in some sort of crap spider outfit or something. <laughs> so with, yeah. with the written word, that gives me a real chill. Unless it was a really good effect on screen, then, you know, it's not quite... It's not quite the same so I think that's the power of the literature that then sparks your imagination as opposed to being shown something directly um, and then once you've seen it once the kind of impact has gone whereas I'll, I'll reread that story a few times and each time it's like Ooh. <laughs> you know, gets me every time <laughs> I should do a better sound effect that sounds a bit feeble <laughs> <laughs> I do apologize. <laughs> Yeah, I think a big one for
1: me, it was always Algernon Blackwood's The Willows. If you're talking about books that's like creeped you out or scared you or whatever, that freaks me out every time I read it. And it's because I can visualise it in my head. I can see The Willows sort of moving about and all the rest of it. And I've heard that there's actually going to be a movie adaptation coming out fairly soon, um, or at least Hmm. in the next year or something. Uh, It's a Canadian director. And I wonder how it's going to work, because I, I don't know how they're going to do it, because you, the, the protagonists don't see anything. <laughs> right, they yeah. don't actually see anything except a, like a miasma above the trees at night and and things like that. And some sort of portents and things like this and some like scratches in the sand. It's all sound and feeling. So I wonder mm. how that's. I really wonder, and I worry because it's one of my favourites. I worry how that's going to translate to film.
2: But, but I, I guess in film, that's how you get around that is by the sound and the lighting and everything else. Mm. Um, and I can think of a couple of films where where you might get that. I mean, The Woman in Black was a very good adaptation. Mm. The, yeah. the TV one, not so much yeah. the Hammer one, which is more jumpsy. The TV one was great. But yeah. The TV yeah. one was was very good um, because they got the atmosphere. Uh, But still, not quite the same as reading the book. I I don't think
0: that leads me to uh, another thought of because I was I mentioned this a little bit um, with James uh, on the last episode of the ritual. But I there's a a a book um, brand out there called the Folio Society. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of it. Um, It is basically kind of the as I describe it, the Criterion Collection, but for books. Basically, Um, you know, very uh, you know, um, really uh, like fantastic um, bindings. Illustrations uh, inside, you know, um, introductions by different authors, and they have this one called the Folio Collection of Horror Stories, which I'm kind of going through now. And it has, you know, it has your usuals. As there's, there's some Stephen King in there, there's H.P. Uh, Lovecraft in there, but there's others ones that I of authors I'd never heard of before. And Margaret St. Clair is one, um, and there's a short story in there of hers called Brenda, which is basically just about this young precocious girl who stumbles upon a man being and the the book doesn't go into great detail describing what this man looks like other than kind of like, he's got gray skin and he's wearing a hat and his head always hangs down. And that's basically it. Yeah. But how your mind fills in stuff where it's like, okay, I know this is a horror story yeah. and the context clues around the story, how it's written and what this character, what this character is like really kind of allows you to fill in some stuff. And it, it, it does seem like it relies more on atmosphere and the imagination of the viewer which is all a, a long winded way of getting to a question of you label a story or a book horror. You expect I'm going to read it and I'm going to be scared by it. Yeah. And yet so inundated with media, with TV shows, with movies, we expect being scared to feel a certain way that a book just can't elicit, which isn't bad, but it's different. So for you guys, what makes a good horror story and or like what makes a book or a story like scary? Cause you don't have the jump scares. You don't have sound. You don't have editing to kind of give you a visceral reaction. So what is it that can make a story scary for you?
1: Before, before I answer that, I'd just like to say that, that I was reading a while ago that there is um, basically there is a, a way of doing a jump scare in a book. And it was actually Shirley Jackson that did it with um, Haunting a Hill House. Mm. And it's a breathing technique. And it's writing really, really long sentences because when you're reading, you hold your breath as if you're speaking. So what you do is you write really, really long sentences to get get your reader to hold their breath. Then when something happens, you go staccato and you hit them with lots of really short, sharp sentences. So they go... (sighs) basically trying to try to induce a panic attack so that's there you go Oh wow that's that's really cool
2: yeah that's interesting
0: it's a psychological factor that one wouldn't really consider
2: yeah because I think again when people think of horror in the visual medium you tend to think of like a slasher flick Mm -hmm. or a monster movie which has come to be generally speaking body horror people getting (laughs) carved up or whatever in some way um, that can work in books though i think in books people who write horror as body horror and try and make things as gross and disgusting as they can i never find that scary in fact i often find that quite boring <laughs> and so the, the other side of that for me is to be honest there's enough of that you can see in real life if you look in certain places <laughs> yeah. or if you've had certain jobs and certain <laughs> occupations you know yeah um for me, I kinda guess what creeps me out is that where the norm is somehow subverted, but quite in quite a subtle way, or not always that subtle, where you, your expectation is set up and then it's changed. I mean I I mentioned like the man tarantula thing, even just that description. So that thing it's um Canon Albrick's scrapbook was the story. Mm-hmm. That thing just appears behind him and it has its hand over his head. And that's all that happens. Now, in a film, that would be quite, you might get a jump scare out of it. But then you'd expect a big sort of fight or something. But that one right. thing, oh, that's that's it. And that, that's kind of all you need. Or even things like, and again, it sounds a bit sort of silly when you describe them. I don't know if it was James, but it's a story where someone sat in his armchair, reading his book or whatever, and he puts his head down and he's stroking the cat's head. Like it's that. james yeah and, and then he looks up and his cat is looking in through the window at him <laughs> you know? yeah it's james yeah yeah <laughs> you don't james. have to describe what that thing is you don't even have to see it but straight away there's a oh that's uh that's creepy you know it's uh for me anyway it works more on that level by and large i'd say
1: yeah i think i'm similar uh i like I mean, we've discussed this at length on the, our podcast. We always end up mentioning it at some point. I'm a big fan of the phrase "the uncanny valley," because mm. I I, li- I love that's that's what creeps me out. You know, you walk walking, like things like you're walking down the street, and you see somebody looking out the window, but their face is slightly off, right? Just a little bit. You know, they they're, they 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 kind they just look a bit strange or a bit bit weird they've got a weird grin or something like that that's the stuff that really creeps me out and i can mm-hmm. visualize that so well in my head when i'm reading that's why i'm a big fan of the weird fiction and the cosmic horror and stuff because it is all that kind of you know our world but slightly off i mean people yeah. like thomas ligotti do it magnificently yeah. Yeah. um you know i mean yeah last feast of harlequin which we covered recently is a great example you've got these clowns but they're all kind of weird clowns
2: you know? <laughs> Even weirder than normal. Even weirder really <laughs> than normal clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I, think, then I think tied in with that is that element of cosmic horror, which kind of cuts the ground out from under you, in, in that anything you thought was important or of, of any value or anything in your life is absolutely totally worthless, and so are you. Then you're completely insignificant. So there's that sort of horror of, of facing up to your own insignificance as well, that yeah. obviously Lovecraft was a master of, of putting that across. Which again, because it's a feeling, is, is very difficult to get across in a film, I think. You know, it's a, it's a difficult thing to show because it's an internal process, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I like this, the thought you had of, of sort of our world, but slightly off. Um, I recently read a story um, I believe Fritz Lieber, uh, the Smoke Ghost, and yep. one thing that he talks about is sort of like he, you know, the character is riding home on like a train and is looking out and sees just like a shadowy figure on like roofs, uh, roofs, uh, roofs, roof, roof. roof, however you actually pronounce roof. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that's just a weird thought because it's like what what is a person potentially hanging out on roofs for? Like, and it's just that it's it's a little simple thing, but like, well, that's that's not usual and it kind of puts your brain in in like kind of a almost a defensive position for the rest of the story because you know that what is going to transpire is a little bit kind of weird. Um James, I know I've been doing a lot of talking, so I I'm, I'm wondering um you know, James you y- you have an overnight schedule. You don't have as much time to to you know, dig into stuff and uh, as as the rest of us uh would, but have you read a lot of horror fiction in the past? Like what what's your kind of experience with like actual like Horror reading kind of stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I don't, I don't, sadly, I don't read as much because of this schedule. It's just kind of, when I get home, I just want to veg out and really just sit and really do nothing, which is kind of sad. But when I think about like authors or like books that have like really, especially in the last couple of years, um, an author I love that a lot of people tend to forget about, but he, he tends to write like almost a book a year is uh, Bentley little and Bentley little. He's, he's kind of like, I would, I would compare him to like Stephen King, but really demented and like meaning like, <laughs> like, like, like to the point of like, he has this one story called the association and it's, it's a simple story about a couple who they get this house in this like, you know, closed off, you know, community, and, like, it's a dream house, they're ecstatic, but it's, it's slightly off, like, the, again, the whole idea of, like, they got this great house, but there's all these rules, like, you can't, once you live there, you can't have any outside, like, you can't talk to anybody out on the outside of this community, but you also can't talk to anybody inside the community either, and, like, you're closed off, but you have this great house, yeah. and it's, like, but it's worth it. Or is it? And, like, there's one scene that it still sticks with me when the the main character, he's jogging along the road in this community and he hears something and he's looking around and he's like... And it's, like, late at night. He's like, okay, probably an animal. He Keeps running and it's getting closer. He's like... And he keeps looking around. What the hell is that? And all of a sudden, a man with, like, no arms and legs is just crawl like like barely crawling like like a worm and it makes this like gasping sound because he has no tongue and no teeth oh and he's just like he's like what the hell he's horrified of course like anyone would be and then someone comes along he's like oh that's just like let's say that's just bill (laughs) what right (laughs) why is he like oh he's always been like that but of course you're like no And you kind of find out he's been living in this place and he's made a lot of, you know, transgressions and he's he's fucked up a lot.
2: Uh, And and hmm. the
3: punishment is, okay. we take an arm, we take a leg
2: and he's running out of pieces,
3: you know, another book that actually I was introduced by. um, um, If we if we're familiar with now, he's become a sensation recently, uh, Grady Hendrix, who, uh, you know, the paperbacks from hell, but. My favorite of those paperbacks from hell, because a lot of them are like trashy and he knows that, but is uh, mm-hmm. the, the Auctioneer. And The Auctioneer, I think, is a masterpiece by uh, Joan Sampson. It's like in the 70s. And it's, again, it's this whole thing of, it. you know, you think, oh, it's a horror novel. Okay, let me read this. And it doesn't start off as a typical, I'm going to scare you. It's, it's like this little family, they have a farm and it's a bunch of farm families around and like you know they help each other out and stuff and winter's coming you know it's less to do and then out of nowhere this auctioneer comes into the town and he kind of you know you, you don't know is he supernatural is because he has a way with words and he controls people somehow and he like their the one of their neighbors just he comes he goes well I, you know i want to i want to like help the community so um give me some items from your house to sell and of course the main family's like no we can't do that we, we need this stuff and then like he somehow convinces them to give away like like a stove or something and slowly but surely one family's house burns down because they didn't give anything but of course mm-hmm. you're like well was it the auctioneer or was it a, a, a chance you know a bad luck mm-hmm. so like stories like that the older i get You know, I've gotten out of the whole, you know, let me just read this thing that's like gory and like, you know, like, like you were saying earlier, like, you know, slasher films, I watch them just to laugh, like, like, most of them are comedic, you know, it's not really like,
1: Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, it's scary. The really good ones tend to be the ones that are atypical, like, something like, you know, like the strangers, you know, something like that, where, yes, you know, a bunch of masked people come to your door. Okay, why are they here? And it's like because we wanted yeah.
1: to. You <laughs> we were home. Yeah, like like funny games as well. Is oh, yeah, funny ones. games. Yeah. Um,
3: oh, yeah. it's horrifying. Like why are they doing it? Yeah, this? just want to have a little bit of fun. Yeah. It's like, and that's more horrifying than some guy that just wants to kill because he was burned by the the camp counselors and you know you know like revenge or whatever the case may be. I the the, yeah. the, the yeah. scarier ones like. Really, I kind of like, you know, like something like Halloween works well. The first one, because why is this guy killing everybody? Yeah. Well, he's going back home, but like and it's before, you know, Laurie Strode is the sister and stuff. And I kind of like that the new ones wanted to try to change, yeah. you know, back to that. But again, yeah. slasher films get into that whole, you know, typical. Oh, we need a high body count. Sometimes like the scarier things, there's no body count.
2: I think I think the other strand of it as well, because I kind of grew up with the, the sort of James Herberts and the Guy N. Smiths here in the UK. Oh, yes. And it was all paperback. Crabs flight. on the Rambo. The rats, the crabs, <laughs> the bats, the mice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Hamsters, Yes, yeah. whatever. sort of, yeah, nature gone mad kind yes. of films. And I mean, they were quite horrific. You know, you imagine sitting on it as a scene on a tube train and suddenly... Hordes of rats start sure. streaming in. You know, that's a that's a scary thing. But again, it was um, well. I suppose in a way, that's our normal world subverted again, isn't it? I guess really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've actually been on the London Underground when it stopped between platforms. Oh yes. And looked out <laughs> of the window and looked down. That's yeah. creepy <laughs> enough. So if you can imagine multiplying those big because they're
2: huge buggers, I they're tell big. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they are <laughs> and, big. Have you seen the film Deathline as well? Yes. yes. Oh yeah. Here, that's, here it is. Raw, raw meat.
3: Good. Mind the doors. Wow. Mind the uh, uh, me- uh, yeah. yeah. That's a good one too. Yeah, Doug, Doug. But, but I still don't understand how this like cannibal family survived for decades, <laughs> and it's like only 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 the guys left now. Everyone's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy.
0: And is that, um, oh, I I was thinking of Graveyard Shift, the Stephen King short story, which is about a bunch of factory workers that discover basically a horde of rats. And then one of which, which I believe is sort of mammoth, um, which was an effective story. They adapted it into a film, which I have not seen, but from what I understand is also not not very good, but it is, it is that sense. I like it oh I do you like really? it. okay yeah i like it but
1: we've discussed this before <laughs> yes, i have but... bad taste in movies man. <laughs> i really like it. It, it i mean it's i i really enjoyed it i mean i haven't seen it since like since the 90s i don't think but i remember enjoying it they had some quite quite decent effects for the time in it mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of it was just shot in darkness mm-hmm. and there was scurrying noises so for me yeah. it worked you know yeah. that's There's...
0: fair um and, and like I said, I, ha- I haven't I haven't seen it myself, but I remember it, it being one of my favorite short stories from King. From his, um, I believe it was the the Night Shift was his collection. Which is side note, um, even if you don't like King as a novelist, some of his short stories oh. are remarkable, even sometimes better than his in yeah. his novels. But
1: I would say that, yeah, I yeah.
0: So. Um, but uh, I, I guess um, what we what we all kind of seem to be speaking around is just this idea of one of the things which can make a horror story so much more effective to the reader is a lot of it depends on the reader's experience and the reader's imagination. Sure, too. Um, yes. Cause like there can be some great films and great film adaptations, but when you see it, it's like, oh, well, this was the director's or the designer's idea of what this creature would look like. Whereas for someone else it'd be like, oh, I, mm, that's not super effective to me. Whereas you read a book and you're just kind of like, mm, um, yeah, I don't like what my brain is filling in because it's this is is creeping well, me out.
3: Well, Jim, look look at look at Clive Barker as an example. He saw what yeah. mm-hmm. they came up with Rawhead Rex looked nothing like what he actually described. Yeah. Fuck this! I'm doing Hellraiser myself. I'll, I'm yes. adapting to Hellbound right. yeah. Heart myself because you know, like Rawhead Rex is supposed to look like a nine foot tall erect penis.
1: <laughs> Can you show that on film?
3: Yeah. Maybe, but but again. Like it's just funny. It's like I love that. Like you know what? I'm gonna make my own films for a bit. You know, I'm gonna. If, if, if you trash it, well, at least it was my vision. You know, not many yeah, authors can do that. Sad, I agree. You yeah,
2: know? yeah. Well, and I suppose, really, up until now, now we've got the luxury of CGI, which brings in another set of problems, perhaps. I found out almost <laughs> every monster or creature is basically someone in a suit.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like... very difficult to get around that and so now we we watched the new Doctor Strange uh, was it Multiversal or something? Oh I Multiverse think. of Madness yeah. and yeah you've got these great tentacle things coming out and, and on the face of it I should have loved that film because the, the creatures look so great but there's something about that process that makes it less real you know I know I'm watching <laughs> a CGI thing you know it, mm-hmm. it very rarely works for me that kind of thing So it might be entertaining, but it's certainly not scary. I think I find as well that a lot of the films that I find are really good adaptations
1: or get really hit the nail on the head with the with the dread and the cosmic horror are the ones that don't have much budget, so they can't show the monster all the time because Mm -hmm. you shouldn't look at the original Aliens. The original Alien. The reason that worked so well is it was barely on screen, and and your brain filled in all the blanks. And, and that's where the same with literature, your brain fills in all the blanks. That's why I think mm-hmm. the approach of some authors where they will describe everything in minute detail, it kind of takes that away from you. Whereas things like Lovecraft, where he'll give you the broad strokes and in some cases, some quite detailed descriptions. But it basically for a lot of the time, it is just the broad strokes and your brain can fill in the gaps. And I think that is far scarier because, let's face it, your brain can be your own worst enemy at times.
3: Right. You know, it's
1: like I like was saying about the Uncanny Valley, you know, there's anxiety yeah. attack kind of stuff in it. You see something that's not quite right and your brain goes into overdrive. What if they're following me? What if they're going to kill me? You know, <laughs> so, and it's and, the and same I, thing in the book.
2: I, I think also in literature and, and often with Lovecraft, you're seeing this creature, you're having this experience through that other person's eyes, Mm -hmm. so you get their reaction to it, which kind of informs your own reaction as well. Mm -hmm. When I'm watching a movie, I'm having an experience of sitting there watching a screen with something horrible on it. It, it, It's almost I'm a little more detached from it in some way. Mm -hmm. When you're reading a book, you seem to get a lot more immersed or even listening to something on like a, you know, horror babble or something like that there's something in that process that I think draws you in more uh, and, and makes the experience more visceral.
0: Mm-hmm. James and I, once again on our episode on the ritual, talked about this a little bit in the sense of um, imagining the ritual kind of being a Lovecraft inspired film, but in in that phase after he passed away and other authors kind of starting adding on to his his mythology and, you know, adding elements to the different gods and that kind of stuff. Um I'm curious about you guys and 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 what your thoughts are on that because well there is a very loose mythos in in Lovecraft but it didn't seem like he set out to create kind of his own MCU which is kind of like you know making sure that all these things existed within the same universe but what are your thoughts on what like Durlith did and a lot of authors did kind of taking his work and adding on to it and kind of building it out because um, I know I'm not a huge fan of it because it does kind of add a morality or a good versus evil thing which I'm like eh that kind of cheapens a bit what he was doing but what are your guys' thoughts on that kind of stuff
2: I think the first thing you have to say about Durlith and we we did a special on him a little while ago is without Durlith we probably wouldn't be talking about this stuff today Mm -hmm. so in that sense we owe him a huge debt however there is this issue of how he tried to codify and uh, tidy it up really and Lovecraft wasn't above doing that himself. There's letters between him and Clark Ashton Smith when they say, oh, oh, yeah, well, Sothogua is Yogg Sothos' cousin. <laughs> but you get the impression. Oh, yeah, they drew a family tree, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they put, put themselves on it. You know, you get the impression yeah. it's a bit of an in joke between the two. Uh, uh, and I mean, you know Lovecraft, the, the, the Cthulhu mythos is Derleth's invention. Hmm. Yes. Lovecraft always termed it Yogg Sothory pretty much, and he he never had this idea to make it a codified thing. So I I think that was something... I'm not sure why Durlis did it. Maybe it was to make it easier to sell or or something like that, perhaps. Um, But at the same time, Lovecraft was very generous with his work and everyone shared it. There were so many exchanges between Smith and Howard and Lovecraft and Cutler and Block and all these people uh, were forever exchanging ideas. And to me, it's nice. It, it kind of grows organically. This thing, you know, it, it's yeah. not like, oh, well, we need to we need to define the relationship between Cthulhu and Dagon. How exactly does? No, it doesn't matter. Right, doesn't matter. If you see him, you are yeah. going to go mad anyway. What does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you should be thinking about. How do you relate? It? You've got to you've got
1: to remember that Lovecraft himself um, was doing it. Like he was the one who first started incorporating other stuff into it before the rest of the Lovecraft circle started using his creations, he was using other people's because he had elements of Arthur Macken in there and he had like Robert W. Chambers, um, King in Yellow and all that kind of stuff. (coughs) So like Rob said, it kind of grew organically through that because like Lovecraft took the works of like Macken, Blackwood, Beers and Chambers and put his own stuff around it and then other people sort of went, oh, I'll do that. And he'll sort of go, oh, I like that. <laughs> and it's like recently we covered uh, the tale of Satampra Zeros by Clark Ashton Smith, which is the first story to feature Southogua. But it wasn't the first story to be printed to feature Southogua. Even though he created it, Lovecraft had it out first.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and, and also I think there's, there's two elements we've spoken about before. You get like a mythos story and you get a Lovecraftian story. Yeah. And modern authors like Caitlin Kiernan, uh, Thomas Lagotti, or, or David Hambling, who we're going to be talking to uh, for the show mm-hmm. recently, they managed to make Lovecraftian stories without any real major reference to the mythos. Mm-hmm. So there's no Necronomicon and there's no Cthulhu or anything like that. Whereas other people, I think, I'm perhaps like Brian Lumley or some of those authors, it's um, t- to me, it's always like, it reads like a good Call of Cthulhu RPG adventure. Mm. You know, yeah. there's the good guys and the bad guys and we have a punch up with the ghouls and, and all that, which is great but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of it's Lovecraftian but it's not Lovecraftian with a capital L <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd,
1: I'd put Campbell in that bracket of the ones who do the Lovecraftian without the Cthulhu mythos because aside from his first collection which had bits of uh, mythos, but he took most of that out at August Derlis' behest um, basically uh, most of his career has been Lovecraftian stories but he never mentions things like like you say like the Necronomicon and things like that he creates his own things and does his own spin on it um, recently I, he put out The Three Births of Olaf, uh, a trilogy of novels which um, are absolutely mind-blowingly good and mm. there's, they're so Lovecraftian they're some of the most Lovecraftian things I've ever read but there's not one single reference to anything that Lovecraft created So,
2: not even any tentacles.
1: (laughs) No, actually, I don't think there is any tentacles in there. There you go. No, there's pseudopods. (laughs) now this is
0: this is a ramsey campbell you're talking about right yes yeah, yeah okay because yeah. i was i was gonna bring him in because actually uh the folio book of of horror stories he is the one that has curated and edited all the stories which ah, go into that oh, um yeah. so if you trust his his taste then you'd probably trust yeah. the kind of things that and he includes one of his own in there as well i can't remember what the name of it is but um but basically if you find him to be a good guy then it's probably something you should you should pick up Oh, definitely
1: um, then, yeah.
0: And I, I also so wondering, we're kind of getting close to this, but you've mentioned a lot of names, so I guess if people are into Lovecraft and that is sort of a, a gateway, who are some other authors that you would recommend and kind of, you know, even if you can get as granular, so like specific stories that people should check out from those authors?
2: I would say Thomas Ligotti, The Last Feast of Harlequin is a is a very good story. I think it's, there were... Uh, three or four collections out of Lagotti stuff. He's not written anything for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Songs There's, of a Dead Dreamer, I think, was the name of one of the collections.
1: Yes, yeah, Songs of a Dead Dreamer and Grim Scribe have got uh, Penguin Classics. They've got the two collections. And Last Feast of Harlequin is in that, along with one of his other top stories, which is Sect of the Idiot, which
2: is about Azathoth. So, yeah, that's, they're in there. Um, yeah. And uh, Caitlin R. Kiernan, who we just covered recently. Uh, what, what was the story called? It's, it's something like From Draw 36. No, From uh, Cabinet 34, Draw 6. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. it. Which, which is about uh, a, a geologist discovers a, a, what becomes known as the Innsmouth Fossil. It's mm. a Devonian era footprint basically or, or a claw which shouldn't mm. exist but it does <laughs> that, was a, that was a really good story yeah. and i've just started reading at tim's recommendation um it's a novel about the ghouls <laughs> oh the, the name's got out of my mind daughter of hounds daughter of hounds that's it yeah
1: it's a great story. one yeah i'm a big fan of cairn threshold yeah. is another one i would recommend uh by by them yeah
2: and then there's all the classics you say ramsey campbell And obviously all your old Lovecraft circle, the Libers, the Blocks, uh, Henry Kuttner, um, Frank Belknap-Long wrote some really good uh, mythos stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot of it out. I mean, I I was surprised because with Caitlin Kean, and certainly I've not really read any of her stuff before, it was was Tim that got me onto that. And I consider myself someone who looks out for this stuff. Uh, There's there's so much of it out there at the moment. The, The Lovecraft... Cthulhuverse just seems <laughs> expanding, expanding, you know, and, and we had our little bit in as well, do not we? Tim's got some great stuff out, and we've both um, edited some anthologies. Uh, Is it Cthulhu versus the Musketeers? Not yep, not that was consider. that was one. Night, yeah. <laughs> that was that was my baby. Yeah, Musketeers <laughs> versus Cthulhu. Nice. Yeah, uh,
1: another one that we uh, we co-conspired on was the Nookinomicon. Nomicon. <laughs> It was a, a bawdy collection, a body collection of Cthulhu mythos tales. So it's all it's all Cthulhu mythos, but done in the style of classic British comedy, like the Carry On movies. Oh, nice. So it's all double entendres and innuendo and
2: smutty <laughs> jokes, you
3: know. We,
2: we, we like to think Lovecraft would have approved, but you know, yeah, Cthulhu. we never know. <laughs> we never know. Now,
0: now I'm wondering what a what an Ealing Studios uh, Cthulhu story or film would have looked like.
1: Well, ex- What you that? Well, there you go. That's why you need to read the Nookie Nomicon because that's yeah, exactly where we were
2: going. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that chap, he's got tentacles. How? How old are you? Sir Alec Guinness cool. playing
0: ten different roles in this this uh, comedic story. <laughs> 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 that would have been pretty good. Um, the, man the, and I guess all... <laughs> the man in the green suit. <laughs> nice. That, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Um, And then I guess also what what to what to what were for people to avoid? And not just in the sense of, oh, this is bad fiction, but even in stuff which is a little bit too like a little bit too dense, or like, well, you know, don't read this or don't read this person until you kind of really start getting because even Lovecraft, too, there there's certain stories like, you know, um you don't want to start without the mountains of madness. You don't want to start there. Um you want to build your way up to that once you develop once you really get a taste for his style, his themes, that kind of stuff. So to certain certain works for people to avoid like you know don't jump too deep into here because this is just going to be kind of
1: you know dip your toe first before you dive into the deep end of these people I think Clark Asher Smith would be a good example of that because a lot of his stuff is very dense and it's very poetic and and I guess it can be quite daunting so I guess you'd want to start off with some of the Stuff like Taylor Tampra Zeros, which is like a proto sword and sorcery, and it's also very funny and it's also sort of Cthulhu mythos adjacent. But you'd want to avoid, I guess, something maybe something along the lines of the one we do, of, of things like Store. even though it's a really short one, it's quite hard to get into, mm. if you know what I mean, if you're not. <laughs> If you don't already know his style and what he's doing, it's quite hard to, to break through, I guess. And it might just scare people off. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'd, I'd say also something about Ligotti as well. Um, mm. Yeah. Without going too much into his personal background, he's, he's a very interesting man. He basically suffers from, I can't remember the technical term, but it's an inability to experience joy. Hmm. So that very much comes across in his writing oh yeah and it's very bleak yeah <laughs> so, yeah it, it's like you don't want to read three or four of those in a row <laughs> <laughs> no. james does i think uh, yeah you know why. you so there. last feast of harlequin is a nice um it's got echoes of the shadow over innsmouth it's a stranger in town kind of vibe to it so the for some as well. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. it's an easy one to get into. But then some of his other stuff can be very uh bleak. So yeah. yeah, Again, that's something you want to ease into, I, I would have thought. <laughs> I think actually a good a, a good example of that
1: uh is T D Klein, uh the his classic The Ceremonies, oh, yeah. which is an absolute masterpiece, but it is as big be- you could like club seals to death with it. Huh? it, it it's, it's it's like a phone book man seriously it, it's ridiculous but he also did a novella version of it uh, yeah. called the events at Poor off farm which i think is better than the than the main thing hmm. but that's i tend towards more novella length kind of things because i think for horror um that's kind of what i like with steven king i much prefer his short stories and his novellas to his long to long pieces because it's just so hard to maintain that dread and tension over, mm. like, like a thousand pages or however long the yeah. ridiculous version of the stand is. Mm. <laughs> it, whereas sixteen hundred pages, yeah, yeah. sixteen
2: hundred. Here's a prime example of that. I, I don't know if you've heard of this one, Tim. Headhunter by Michael Slade.
1: So,
2: oh, right, yeah, right. Th- this came out in the eighties. Uh, yeah. And I picked this up as a recommendation after hearing people talk about it on a podcast. What an amazing horror story it is. With yeah. An amazing twist at the end. And to be honest, this is, uh, what, 500 something pages? Like, you could cut it in half. Yes. You know? Yeah. There's just so much padding in there that takes away so much from the horror. And then by the time you get to the twist at the end, I'm like, who was that person again? Was that. <laughs> oh, oh, right. That's that, <laughs> yeah, you know, literally. You you know, make if it had been half the size, it, it yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I feel maybe there's pressure on authors now, particularly if you do fantasy books. It's oh mate 600 pages, and you know, I, I don't have the that amount
1: of time. So some of them, I mean, I've tried. I'm not the huge. I like my sword and sorcery. I love my pulp sword and sorcery stuff. Mm. I love it. Things like uh, Robert E. Howard, Carl Edward Wagner, people like that. Great stuff, but I can't do epic fantasy i get into it and like just like rob says i get like into like chapter three and i've forgotten who half the characters are because it's been like 200 pages since any of them were mentioned and so i'm flicking back to the front going who was that again and then by the time i've done that i'm just oh you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read just read some short stories instead
2: (laughs) and actually timmy just reminded me there. you mentioned carl edward wagner who's known for sorcery but also did some great horror stories oh, as well. Oh yes, uh, Sticks. Sticks. Yeah, that's the that's a really good story. His stuff is a little bit difficult to get hold of. I think it is very hard to get hold of. Yeah, but uh, Sticks, Sticks, Sticks is in that was like a big influence on the Blair Witch Project and, and that kind yeah. of story. Mm. So Carl Edwards I think American it's is another I think
1: one it's one. in New Tales of the Cthulhu Mythos, which was edited by Ramsey Campbell.
2: Right. Um, and, and Wagner also curated... Uh, he had a series of the best horror of the year novel, yeah. uh, collections that he, he was editing that are well worth checking out as well.
1: Another one of his that I really enjoy, which we should cover at some point, Rob, is On the River of Nights Dreaming, yes. which was his King in Yellow story, set in Robert Chambers's King in Yellow mythos. And I think it's probably the best King in Yellow story that isn't written by Chambers. Right. So, oh. yeah. It's really, it just nails the decadence of it and things like that. Oh, oh, that reason. Sorry, <laughs> I mentioned <it> word decadence. <laughs> Another recommendation I've got to get in is Michael Shea. Ah, yes, Michael Shea's Fat yes. Face.
3: Fat Face, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. one of the, yeah, Fat Face by Michael Shea, one of the best short stories.
2: Uh, oh, it's great. Shog off poetry, it's marvelous. It is truly horrible. It is a true, it's horrible. It's treat on great. many levels. Uh, it's, it's interesting? Yeah, he, he sets he takes the mythos and he sets it in the seedy underbelly of Los Angeles. Nice. So there's yeah, <laughs> drug dealers and hookers and pimps, and it's uh, you've got that level of horror, but then these other layers of mythos horror mm-hmm. sort of underneath are on top of that as well. Yeah. I, I literally just finished re- reading. Uh, he died. He died quite a while ago, but
1: a, a novel of his has just come out. It's never been released before. Called Mister Canny Harm, and Man, it is awesome. and It's set in the same hotel as Fat Face is featured in, so it ties into all this mythos, his sort of milieu. And again, it's Lovecraftian, but it's all pimps and pushers and drug deals gone bad and all this really grim. And it's set in the 60s, so you've got that added sort of like the tail end of the, the hippie dream, everything's after <laughs> Altamont and the, the Manson family. It's all gone to shit, you know? <laughs> so it's great. It's really good. Yeah. I'd really recommend his stuff, especially if you, you want a bit of a more sort of gritty version of cosmic horror. Well, a
0: lot of, a lot of links to that stuff I will um, include in the show notes, not everything we've talked about a whole lot of stuff, but just some highlights. If you want to get into, it. I'll, I'll put some links in the, in, into the show notes. If you want to, read that stuff. I'm sure a lot of stuff is available online, but not then, you know, where you can go to, to purchase it. Certainly. Um, it, so I don't want to keep you guys too much longer. So I'll just, I have one final thing, I guess for all of us is um, a recommendation for one book or story specifically that you can remember having a strong feeling of this scared me or this kind of put me off or sat with me for a while. If you could, if you could just pick one, what would it be?
2: I think for me, if, if I had to choose one, it was actually the first Lovecraft story that I read and it would be The Outsider. Mm. Uh, there's not a lot happens in it and for anyone who hasn't read it, I won't do the spoiler. But it's it's one of those, I, I read it once and I thought, yeah, that's a bit creepy, but then you read it again and then you start thinking about the implications and everything else and that that's one, again, that's the mark of a good horror story. It stays with you beyond that initial feeling of discomfort or disease it it plays on your mind you know (laughs) implications as much as what you're actually told directly i think for me it's got to be
1: blackwoods the willows i think that i think i don't think anything has creeped me out quite as much as that i think it's again that was part that it was the age that i read it because i was only about eight or something but uh also my family had a farm down on the river seven and along this lonely stretch of it, there is all these willows and all the rest of it, and it was flooded, and I, we'd gone to see my uncle on the farm, and I just read the willows, and I'm like, I don't want to get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting out of the car. <laughs>
2: you don't want to go wandering around in the British countryside, folks, believe me. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, a novel that's... Okay, a story that's stuck with me, and still creeps me out when I just think of like the the, the cover of the book is uh, Andrew Niederman's uh, Pin. Pin is, Pin is oh, yeah. and they made a really good film adaptation of it too. Like about yeah. like in the late nineties, which for some reason the film is hard to buy. I don't know why, I don't know why. Cause a, a boutique label has to get this film back into the to the market, but this film, this book is just creepy. Like, it's like an an inanimate, like, you know, um, basically person named Pin, but speaks to these two children. And I don't want to say too much. It's just, it's that sense, again, sense of dread. And it's like, it's such a weird concept of like, oh, you know, these two kind of weird kids and their friend Pin, who uh, only speaks to them. Of course, mm-hmm. but then you're like, is it really speaking to them or is it all in their head? Really, really creepy stuff, and it's weird because like Niederman, not as like well known. I mean, he, I think he wrote The Devil's Advocate, the book that then they made into the big mm-hmm. budget film, which you know, whatever. Uh, but that that's a good. One. <laughs> that, that, if I was gonna pick one that people should try to seek out, Pin is Pin is a creepy one. But what about you, Jim?
0: Yeah, so. And this is one that I haven't read in a while, but is one that I've I think about all the time and I recommend to people all the time. Sometimes seriously, sometimes as a joke when like a mom with a newborn is like, "What kind of book should I read? Uh, I'll, I'll, <laughs> mine is uh, Mark Danielewski's House of Leaves Ooh, um, which is a difficult book to describe. Um, I mean, you mentioned you know a book that could club a baby seal. This is one of them. It is yeah, thick. Um, but also can breeze through because it's it's basically there are three narratives going on at the same time basically what happens is it starts out from a first person narrative from a guy who discovers an academic um analysis of a documentary film about a house that's physical dimensions don't match up with Um, how it looks Um, so for instance um, there's a a, you know a door which should in theory open to nothing or a hallway which uh, or or opens up into a hallway which physically from the outside it doesn't make any sense right Um, so there is a documentary of the of the person who bought the house exploring the house that is being commented on by an academic that is being commented on by a guy who found these academic comments Mm -hmm. um But the guy who founded, who starts the book is sort of an unreliable narrator because he's a drug addict and you're not even really sure if we can believe what he's saying. You're not actually sure if the documentary film is actually a real thing. And it all kind of spirals out of control. And eventually this is one thing that I think books still have over movies is – The way that the pages are printed, some stuff will breeze by because it's printed just like one line in a diagonal fashion or one page or it's kind of upside down because it's supposed to kind of show the psychological deterioration of the narrator because of the story that he is discovering. So it's a very dense but also but like i i used to read you know i used to um commute uh into work i lived in new jersey but i worked in new york so i would have about an hour and a half every day to kind of read or do whatever and this was a book that i would read in the bright daylight on my way to work and would unsettle me um and it's not necessarily anything which is scary about it you know there's not monsters that jump out there's not you know a little bit of spoilers i guess like as they explore the house as a documentary filmmaker explores the house all that happens is just the house keeps going they don't necessarily get to anything you know they don't find an altar or they don't get to you know minute, find bones or bodies yeah it's just it's just this idea of things not being as they appear to be both in the sense of what how the house appears but also can we even trust the person who is telling the story? It is very, it's very kind of like, and there's part of me, which would love to see someone try and adapt it. And there's also part of me just like, you know what? Any adaptation would, would fail. Any adaptation would fail.
3: Yeah. Hasn't a few people tried to, like, I think it's been in limbo for years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There there are, I'm sure. And there are some people like that have made films, which are kind of similar to like, you know um but it's just kind of one where like we're as we've talked about you know what my imagination is going to be so much more effective than any vision that some director is going to put out there right um but yeah so but it's not exactly lovecraftian or you know even connected to that uh but you know i I will also plug two things i mentioned the folio book of horror stories that is a good one and also if you've ever read um uh hp lovecraft's um you know, I'm I'm blanking on the on the term, but he he basically his his manifesto or, or his
1: oh, supernatural, supernatural horror, horror in literature. Infrared. Yeah, that we one. said that in complete unison. <laughs> <laughs> um, in
0: in that essay, in which he describes kind of what cosmic horror is and why he writes it, why he finds it, it you know, it was kind of the precursor to when King eventually wrote *Dance Macabre*. He mentions a lot of short stories and authors in that essay, and someone collected those into a book called H.P. Uh, H. Lovecraft Selects. So, you know, oh, he mentions, yeah. you know, the Sandman, or he mentions um, Algernon Blackwood, or he mentions the one of the weirdest fucking stories I've ever read, The House on the Borderland.
2: Oh, yeah. Great. Um, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 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 It's
0: that is yeah. Fucking, that is a weird But it, yeah. if he mentions it, it is collected in this book um so it's it's a it's a very interesting uh read as well but um yeah i don't want to i don't want to once again i don't want to keep you guys i'll cut you loose i know you're all in mourning still because of you know the, <laughs> the queen not just,
2: no, yeah no, not no, just no. not just
0: mourning the death of the queen but also now mourning the uh, the ascension <laughs> of of king charles so well, uh,
2: yes. <laughs> and, and just when we thought we got rid of one <laughs> a very strange person as prime minister. We get one that's even stranger. Talk about Uncanny Valley. I mean, just oh, where, god, isn't uh, it?
1: Yeah, it was scary. Happens. You want to
2: know what's scary? That's scary. <laughs> well, that's what happens if you order Margaret Thatcher off
1: Wish. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, that's just, oh my god oh, oh. oh well yeah I mean you've, you you've guys have your own uh lovecrafting horse deal but if, but if one day if Prince if King Charles is giving a speech and he just bursts open and he, he has a collection of sentient tentacles would anyone really be surprised
3: no <laughs> it might, it might not, actually it, it would actually be better at least it would make sense I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah,
1: that, or,
2: be, yeah <laughs> worth seeing
1: yeah yeah It'd be a lot more entertaining wouldn't it yeah
0: <laughs> um well guys thank you so much for joining us but uh before we depart obviously we we need to inform listeners like where they can find you how they can more engage with their stuff just uh pimp out anything and everything having to do with Innsmouth book club and yourselves
2: uh probably the best place for all the links if they go to insmouthgold.com then there's links there to the uh both the podcasts we do in strange shadows and the Innsmouth book club and to some of my stuff as well and I, i think i've got links up there to tim as well but Tim will have his own. uh, Has got his own sites as well.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. I think the best, the best place because I've just put basically it's just a place to collect all the links together. Is my website, which is timmendy'swriter.wordpress.com.
0: Wonderful, cool. All all that stuff will be also found in the show notes, so um, you all dig into it. um, Whatever, uh, whatever, anything that we've discussed here—if it sounds like it's going to scare you, titillize you, interest you—by all means check it out there is an entire untapped untapped world out there of horror fiction of which i have only barely scratched the surface i'm sure you guys feel too like oh there's you know totally totally
2: only the tip of the iceberg it's the nice thing we do in the podcast is tim's tim's got a lot more depth of knowledge on me on that and he's suggesting all these new authors for me that i never even knew were there you know and -hmm. then we have people on to talk about what they're doing it's uh yeah it, it's an education <laughs> yeah, uh, well
0: um thanks again guys this has uh this has been great uh rob and tim thank you so much for joining us and yeah um guys this has been our conversation with the innsmouth book club um our next episode of course as we have um forecast we'll be talking with jessica scott who's going to be returning um to talk about the shutter exclusive film glorious um that's going to be a good time she's a great guest and i don't know if the film's going to be that Listen, I haven't watched it yet. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, so. I've, I've only seen
3: the trailer, and it's about a glory hole that might be love, like a Lovecraft demon or something. And that alone. That alone and, 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 and voiced by J.K. Simmons. So that's all I needed to hear. I'm like, okay.
1: You saw that it, that right? reminds me of an old episode of Monsters. You remember that TV remember show, on, Monsters? Yeah. Monsters. Yeah. So yeah, there was an episode, Pillow Talk, and it was a Lovecraftian bed. And this yeah, guy used to bring oh cookers home to feed to the Lovecraftian bed. <laughs> the, like his that. bed was a tentacular monstrosity, you know?
3: <laughs> Monsters. Yeah. <laughs> the, the unofficial, like, Tales from the Dark Side season three yeah. or four, or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 Good show. Yeah. yeah I like that show with the well, weird I, creepy family watching their. Yeah. It was
1: great. <laughs> they did a really good adaptation of Frank Belknap Long's The Space Eaters. It oh. was, a, was a really good show, that.
0: Yeah,
3: <sighs> we might have to find some of those episodes, Jim. You know,
0: I will. Well, this is this oh is just—I um, don't know if "inspired" is the right word, but I guess if I ever do fall in hard times, there's probably a, a niche corner of um, Lovecraftian erotica that I could tap into. I'm oh. sure that there is there will be some people who would.
1: We'll put, oh,
2: there we'll is put an anthology for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's,
1: there's plenty out there, mate. Trust me. Just, just, just trust me. It's like every now and then I'll stumble across it when I was looking like in Amazon. And I'll go what? Right.
2: I... <laughs>
0: I'll I'll maybe edit this out, but the <laughs> necronomicon. The necronomicum, I don't know if that's a. Necronomicon. Oh, but
2: ooh, yeah, that's yeah that's there
0: you go. go. That's good. Yeah. yeah oh, nice. <laughs> we'll we'll see how I feel when I when I actually get around to the editing portion of this. I already regret it, but um, anyway. Um, <laughs> well, Rob Dim, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. This was this was such a delight. Um, you, pleasure. Yeah, and uh, uh, everyone, be sure to tune in next time. We'll be talking with Jessica Scott about glorious. In the meantime we will be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia